2010. Uh, let me go around the table and introduce everyone. Uh, we've got Mr. Jeff Simpson. Uh, welcome, Jeff. Greetings, Hunter. Greetings, Dave. Dr. Dave Schwartz from UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Hey, Dave. Hi there. Uh, Chuck Monster from VegasTripping.com is trying to uh, get in on the call here. He's having uh, some some issues. You can send your complaints to uh, AT&T Corporate Headquarters. Um, uh, uh, I'm sure that they will, will be happy to uh, to hear them. So hopefully he's going to join us here um, during the call, uh, um, but uh, we shall see. Um, so, oh, who am I? Um, my name's Hunter Hillegas, and I'm at RateVegas.com. Um, happy to be back. Uh, before we get into um, some of the stories, I wanted to make a little announcement. Um, Jeff here is going to be writing um, a semi-regular column for uh, for my blog, 2A Hard 3, which I'm very excited about. Um, Jeff has forgotten more about the gaming industry than I'll ever know. So um, I'm sure it's going to be interesting and great, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what you come up with. Thank you, Hunter, although I wish you hadn't brought up my uh, Alzheimer's, but um, thank you very much, and uh, we're very much looking forward to uh, uh, participating more regularly on the blog and uh, look forward to uh, um, the, the feedback that uh, your readers are uh, all, all too happy to provide. Excellent. Well, we will be uh, very happy to have you, uh, no doubt about it. So look for that soon. Um, and uh, yeah, just really excited about it. Um, let's see. I was going to start off with the Encore Beach Club, but since Chuck is not yet on the call, maybe I'll hold that and hope that he can join us and instead start with Harini and MGM Mirage. Um, for those that aren't up to speed, uh, the Perini Building Company was responsible for um, has, has overall responsibility for building MGM Mirage's city center complex. Of course, they worked with uh, quite a few subcontractors, but uh, they were the lead. Um, since the project opened in December, there have now been uh, there's a disagreement between the two sides. During the process of construction, there was at least one very notable. Um, Change, which was the Harmon Tower losing about half of its size due to, well, depending on who you ask, either due to construction defects or due to the market not being able to support um, the condos that were supposed to go in those floors. Um, now, so now what we're looking at is uh, Perini saying MGM owes them about $500 million. Um, MGM coming back and saying that, no, we don't owe you that money. Actually, you probably owe us some money. Um, we consider that that part of the complex a total loss, and then sort of in the middle are these subcontractors who contractually, I believe, uh, it's Perini's responsibility to settle up with. Um, MGM no, definitely being very, very wise about the PR implications of this has, has decided to step in and say, look, we have a disagreement with Perini, but uh, we want to get these subcontractors paid to head that had that part of the uh, story off of the past. They've come in and they're now trying to negotiate directly with the subs, which I think is very smart. Um, so this is just a really interesting story. I think 
when the Harmon was uh, was uh, shortened, it was obvious that there was going to be some fallout from this, uh, and the companies kind of kept kept uh, on their merry way while they were um, finishing the project. But now that it's done, um, they're definitely letting it fly. And, and Perini has opted to sort of lay this out in the court of public opinion by publishing um, some, I'm sure, carefully chosen documents from their uh, from their filing cabinet of correspondence between them and MGM Mirage. Um, they went in to try to speak with the governor, who basically said, yeah, well, you know, I uh, hope you guys work that out. Um, and, and that's kind of where we're at. It's a, I think it's a fascinating story. I, you know, without seeing the contract itself, it's very difficult to determine who's right and who's wrong. Um, but uh, I'm curious what you guys think about this whole fiasco. Uh, maybe, maybe Dave, I'll start with you. Um, you know, I'm sure that you're uh, aware of all this and have been watching the back and forth. What do you think about this? Uh, uh, is this, um, you know, is is this uh, putting a stain on City Center? How do you think this is going to work out if you were going to make a bet on it? I have no idea how it's going to work out because I just don't know what actually happened. You know, besides the fact that somebody cut the rebar in the towers, allegedly, you know, somebody committed some errors. You know, I don't know where the, you know, how that happened. But, you know, I think it's really unfortunate that a project of this size ends up in court in this way, in this very public way. So I think that's that's kind of too bad. One thing interesting that I've noted, I've been working on a historical article about the development of the construction process at City Center, and I noticed in August of 2008, there's a real small notice in a, in a column about city center saying, oh, yeah, Tishman it just got a $250 million contract to do to take over the construction at the Harmon, and Perini's still in charge of the whole project, but this is just letting them focus on their strengths and blah, blah, blah. It didn't really get noticed, and it wasn't until September that news of the violation notice that they'd gotten in August came up. So it seems that this there had there was an awareness that there was some kind of problem at that site uh, back in August. It's interesting because uh, you know Perini says that look, uh, yes, there were problems with Harmon, but our contract and again you know we don't know what the contract actually says, but they they claim the contract says look we we get the chance to fix it. That's our you know that that's. Uh, that's um, our first option is that we get the chance to try and come in and fix the defective work before, you know, you, the owner, can, can say, hey, this is non-conforming, um, you know, we're not going to pay you for this. So it, it is very interesting to watch this back and forth. What about you, Jeff? I'm sure you've been following this. Well, I think that in terms of what it means in the long term, um, I'm, I, well, let's start with the, the short term. Um, there's still going to be a battle that goes on between uh, Ron Tudor and uh, you know his uh, and and his Perini um, company. Um, that's going to obviously go on if MGM can take care of the subs um, that otherwise Perini would be on the hook for. Um, the the subs are the ones who make a lot of noise, um, and if the, if they can be taken care of satisfactorily. I think you end up with two big corporate um, entities that um, will either, you know, solve their battle through um, negotiation, arbitration, or the courts. And I, I, I think that that won't make 
a darn bit of difference to the general public. Um, if you look back um, to a, uh, a, compar- a comparable situation um, when the Venetian was built um, 10 years, a uh, little over 10 years before, uh, they had a uh, you know similar situation with their general contractor Bovis, um, and there you know the the payment was eventually um, settled after the courts. I think it was in like maybe 2005, so like six years after the place opened. And the uh, but it was it was a case that was filled with recriminations where you know Bovis says that. Venetian is giving them all these change orders, change order after change order, and and Venetian is claiming that Bovis didn't, you know, get the thing opened in a timely manner, and it led to a very unsatisfactory piecemeal opening, the kind uh, Las Vegas Sands seems to specialize in. Um, not that they, you know, eventually things worked out there after a after a slow um, first couple quarters. Um, Venetian ramped up quite well and became you know, unbelievably successful. In, as far as the public was concerned, um, I just don't think it, it, it really matters. And I think that the comparison, um, but, you know, obviously city center is a much bigger project. Um, and the difference right now is that it opened into a horrible, horrible economy. I don't think that the construction um, payment problem um, is something that's going to affect um, the, the success of city center. I think that that's, you know, the, the question is the economy, um, you know, supply and demand, those kind of things. Um, so I don't really think the, the legal squabble is that is going to be really that important to the general public for folks like us, you know, it, it, it exposes some of the seamy underside of, of the business, um, in some ways. And, you know, that's always sort of interesting, but I'm not, I'm not all that impressed with, uh, how much it's going to mean in the long run. It's, it's interesting to, um, just to see the, uh, back and forth, the documents that Perini published, they published the documents on a Facebook group. It was like a 30 page PDF of random letters of correspondence between Ron Tudor, who's the head of Perini, um, some of his, I think, immediate um, underlings, um, and then on the MGM side, um, mostly Bobby Baldwin, who's the, the head of City Center. Um, and it's just to watch these back and forth is just, uh, it's very dramatic. I mean, then clearly, you know, they released these to make a point, to try and make their case. Um, and so I'm sure that they picked the most dramatic uh, articles and elements to, uh, to compile. But it's just fascinating reading to see this stuff back and forth. And now you're seeing people say things in the – or not people. Ron Tudor, I believe, said he would never work with MGM again. It's something along the lines of, like, if he was the last, the last client on earth, they wouldn't, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't work with them again. I mean, that's amazing. Well, he did say that. I think that he also said that at the time City Center opened um, that the MGM – and I think it was Baldwin, if I remember correctly, from that uh, – document release they made that Baldwin, you know, said what a great job Tudor had done. I mean, of course, at, at opening ceremonies, um, and certainly MGM had an interest in, um, you know, having a, uh, you know, a rosy, a rosy kind of day. But um, I think, you know, the MGM executives did say some nice things about, about Perini at that time. Obviously, beneath the surface, surface there was a lot of uh, 
negative going on. But you're, you're right. There is some very interesting stuff in the documents. I just don't know what it means, you know, how significant it will be for the casino business. Yeah, I mean, of course, Perini, Perini is implying that MGM isn't paying because they can't, because clearly their financial difficulties have been well publicized. Um, and so, you know, Perini is saying basically, look, they don't have the money. They're making up reasons why they're not supposed to pay us. And MGM is saying, look, um, you didn't deliver like half of one of our buildings. Um, do you really think we're going to pay you? So, uh, you know, you can you can sort of make legitimate uh, understandable arguments on both sides, but without that contract and all of the backing detail, it's it's impossible to tell who's right and who's wrong, other than it just being kind of an interesting drive-by to watch. Something else that's interesting is that company, um, Perini, was not a, um, a a big player in the casino construction business. They had done some projects before, but all of a sudden, at the same time um, that Perini was building, you know, City Center, the biggest project ever. Um, I believe they were also, um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they were doing Cosmopolitan. Tudor Saliba, Ron, Ron Tudor's private company, was building both Encore and building the Westgate Tower for, uh, for um, well, connected to Planet Hollywood. It's not Planet Hollywood's tower, but um, so... You know, they, they sort of took over as the biggest, uh, you know, construction um, company in the business for a while. So, you know, it, it does have the potential, um, you know, it, it could have potential once the industry gets back into a building phase again of uh, shaking up the kind, you know, the company that casino operators are going to want to call when it's time to build something. Right. I mean, what had they done before? What, the Palace Tower at Caesars, I think? Um, but not a lot of other stuff. I mean, they, you know, Marnell was the big builder for a long time, but then Wynn decided to use Tudor Saliba for Encore. That, that's right. And I think, I, I don't know if it was because Marnell was going to be building the M Resort. Um, you know, when he was opening um, Wynn, you know, at that time, he knew that Tony w was not going to be building the, you know, Encore. Um, and I'm not really sure, you know, why that was, if there was some kind of, I, I have heard nothing of a, uh, of a split between them, but that would be interesting to know. Uh, Marnell obviously built Bellagio as well. Um, and, uh, as well as his own property, the Rio. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who the next builder of choice is if it does change. I want to welcome Mr. Charles S. Monster to the floor. Yay! <laughs> hey! Welcome back. Yeah, I, uh, my return from vacation was delayed by uh, AT&T's uh, outage here in Southern California. So, uh, fortunately, I got a tip via Twitter to turn off 3G on the oh, iPhone. That works. Therefore, it'll work. So... Here I am, and I'm sorry I'm late, and I missed you guys, and I missed everybody, and I'm glad to be back. So let's get Welcome back. back. Thank you. Yeah, well, we're happy to have you. Uh, we were just finishing up a little talk about Perini and MGM. You missed a little announcement at the top. Jeff's going to be writing a, a column for me in my blog. I'm very excited about it, I'm sure. Um, I, I will force you to link to the first one once it gets up there. Uh, <laughs> Using my significant leverage that I have over you, my powers of persuasion. Um, moving on. 
uh, and I, I saved this topic for you, Chuck, which is the Encore Beach Club. Um, Encore Beach Club opens tomorrow at 11 a.m. Encore Beach Club replaces the original um, Porta Cochere on the Las Vegas Boulevard side of Encore uh, with a pool cabana complex, including a new nightclub called Surrender. Um, Chuck, you published some photos of uh, a very nicely lit up Encore Beach Club the other night. Um, Dave, you were kind enough to, to uh, route some photos of um, uh, during the day as well. Um, so, you know, we're getting a photographic picture of what this place is looking like. Um, you know, I think it, it looks looks nice. I mean, it looks like there are other pools, to be perfectly frank, which is not a bad thing. I mean, the pools all look fantastic. Um, you know, opening Memorial Day weekend, it sounds like they're going to be very full and they're going to do quite a bit of, of business. Um, Chuck, I guess I'll I'll start with you. Uh, you know, this was a project that, as it we we watched it progress from a uh, county zoning commission hearing where it kind of popped out out of nowhere to um, you know some leaked some leaked renderings, which some folks kind of questioned um, and wondered if it was really going to hold up the sort of. Uh, unofficial, um, you know, wind design promise that they that they continue to make and generally keep um, in terms of uh, you know quality. Um, so you know now that people are starting to see photos, and you know I'm sure this week we'll get uh, some real reports from actual patrons. Um, you know, what do you think people are are saying? What's the what's the mood about the Encore Beach Club? Well, you know, there's there's amongst of the followers of the wind. Uh, design aesthetic. Uh, I think when the renderings came out, the Schneiders, who the guy who does all the watercolor renderings, um, uh, it, they came off as kind of like over the top and tacky. Uh, particularly the uh, surrender beach, the surrender nightclub uh, thing inside. People had a pretty distasteful sort of view of those renderings. And you can't really tell from the renderings. You know, this is like. You know, we're discussing the stats on the back of a baseball card here. It does not affect the game, per se. Um, but I think, you know, seeing them in actual photos, you know, to me it looks like a much more welcoming pool than than uh, a gigantic uh, just, you know, slab of concrete with, with, with some water stuffed in the middle. Now, what it feels kind of like the Encore Beach Club, just looking at the photos, it feels like uh, like the love boat or something, you know, it's like, it's got this boat kind of like you're in a boat going down the side of the strip or something, you know, it just, it feels like that. And, and, and in, in the play date setting where it's not completely mobbed, it, it looks very attractive, very comfortable, uh, exquisitely designed and very well constructed. You know, we'll know when we get there to, you know, knock on the walls and see what what it's made of. But uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, it kind of worries me that it's it's going to become like like uh, some of the other gigantic, crazy, insane pool things, which is like spring break, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in Vegas. So. And that's just a personal thing. Like, I'm just not really into that whole kind of deal. So, uh, you know, I, I, I like a nice, comfortable European-style central paid pool where you can kind of go and lounge out. And there is, you know, some place for partying and music and, and whatnot. But 
But I think it's gorgeous. It's it's it's, uh, it's surely going to be a big hit. And and judging by the amount of money uh, that XS is making, making, you know, I think this thing is just gonna it's gonna recoup the seventy million plus probably within a month. It it definitely I I will definitely agree with you on the financial aspect. I think it seems like that's um, you know it's going to be a, a great. Um, you know, additive to the property in terms of the bottom line. I mean, like you said, the nightclubs are just raking it in. I mean, you know, you alluded to that in another post that you did this week showing off somebody's bill from excess, which just really goes to illustrate how much money, you know, those nightclubs do make. And and Wynn has said this in his quarterly calls and, and in other settings. I mean, they're just, you know, they're, they're a license to print money if you've got a hot spot. Um, personally, we were, I was saying a little bit before the call, um, you know, this isn't really the kind of amenity that I am excited about for myself. Um, yeah. But I am very interested to see it. I'm, I'm going to be able to get a tour tomorrow morning and um, looking forward to uh, to doing that, knocking on some walls and uh, seeing if I can break off uh, any part of the uh, fixtures to take home. Um, Dave, <laughs> you know, I know you spend every weekend at rehab, so what do you think? I think it's, you know, definitely, as everyone else has said, that's what people are spending money on and they're hospitality businesses. So they've got to build what people are spending money on, you know, um, yeah. I think it's kind of the, the interesting thing. And I think I alluded this to this in either your or Chuck's blog in the comments section. There's that walkway right from the garage to mm-hmm. the beach club. So it's kind of like right. he's not, you know, people won't even have to go through the casino. So I think the casino is going to stay the casino. The beach club stuff will happen at the beach club. I hope that's true. Uh, because, you know, one of my, one of, one of the things I like about the Encore Casino is that it's sort of small and, and um, quiet is not what I would describe as a good trait for a casino, but um, it, it, it just feels a little bit more private, even though, uh, you know, even, even when it's busy, it just somehow feels a little bit more private having, you know, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of guys in board shorts kind of spilling out of the line at the casino was not my idea of a, of a great experience, but they, they seem hopefully have dealt with that. Right. I mean, they, like you said, they've got a direct access from the parking garage. They have what looks like um, a large volume access right from the strip. So, you know, you can, if you're a local, you can park and just go in. If you're, you know, walking down the street, you can just jump on the cruise ship and, and get in there and have a good time. So, you know, We'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I think for people that own shares in the company, they should be excited. I think it's going to make a ton of money. You know, I like this I like this upload idea, and I would – I'm not saying I would pay money to see it, but if somebody could mock up a, you know, like a version of a Love Boat intro with Steve Wynn and mm-hmm. everybody else, that would be kind of funny. I'd laugh at that. I can imagine too. him with the captain's hat on. Yeah, like you're a captain. <laughs> you know, you're whatever. Your steward is <laughs> – Hello. You know. I think um well two things. Uh first uh just like you guys, um they won't allow me into any of these high end pools. They're worried that all the all the uh custo- all the customers will gather at the edge of the pool and try and push me back out to sea. Uh, <laughs> but, but um on a, a on a more serious note, the the I think Wynn has showed an amazing ability to sort of he was he was slow 
into the nightclub business. Um, he did a he did a sort of a poor job when he opened Win, um, the original um, Labette um, at Win. Um, was supposed to be a combination restaurant nightclub, and it just, you know, was was horribly received. And he he quickly said, you know what, close it, spend tens of millions of dollars, you know, redo it, and um, then by you know, um, and then with excess, and now with the Encore Beach Club, he's he's really showing his competitors. You know, if there are these big um, cash flow generating sectors of the business, I'm not just going to get into it. I'm going to own it. And when you look at some of the trends in the business, whether it was in the middle part of the last decade with um, incredibly fast increasing room rates, he built an expansion um, and got better room rates than anybody else. When it came to the the uh, the baccarat business, which has um, grown more and more, he didn't. You know, when Bobby Baldwin was building the expansion tower at the, as a spa tower at Bellagio, he he knew that Wynn was getting ready to open Wynn Las Vegas. But he told me at the time MGM owned seventy five percent of the baccarat market, and Bobby told me he expected to keep about two thirds. He knew Wynn was going to take some. Well, within six months of opening Wynn Las Vegas, Wynn told me he owned more than half the market. And that has, nobody's told me anything, any, nobody's told me anything that suggests that he doesn't still have half the market, even with the opening of Palazzo and Aria um, and a, a much improved room at Bellagio. So Wynn has captured, and now with, and the same thing with the incredibly um, robust cash generating possibilities of these nightclubs, he may have been slow on the uptake, but once he got in, he got in whole hog. And now, you know, MGM has, you know, they've spent a lot, you know, with Wet Republic, with Fair, um, you know, updating the, the facilities of Bellagio and Aria's you know, beach stuff. And, and, you know, I'm sure they're, they're going to do okay, but I think wind dominates in all of those areas. And so, you know, what a tough competitor for everybody else. And if you're, like you said, Hunter, if you're a shareholder, you got to think that that's a pretty good thing for your company. Well, the only, you know, one other thing I would add was that, you know, traditionally Wynn has, likes to own all of the aspects of his business. Like he likes to own the restaurants. He doesn't four well deals. He likes to own these things. But with the nightclubs, he was very smart. He said, look, Labette didn't really work. Let's bring in some experts that really know this business. Let's partner with them. And it, yeah, maybe we'll be splitting the profit, but we'll have something that's really going to pay off. And, uh, you know, that, is uh, a place where they kind of adjusted their overall corporate strategy, but it's worked incredibly well for them. That's correct. All right. Um, moving from happiness at the Encore at the at the Encore Beach Club to unhappiness at the Atlantic City Beach Club. Um, drop of twenty five percent in the first quarter of twenty ten. Dave, what is what's going on in Atlantic City? Is it just over? Yeah, a lot of competition and failure of the market to adjust to competition. I think they really need to do something to get people driving there. You know, it's it's not a short drive. 
And when people have so much gambling in Pennsylvania and everywhere else, it's, it's they got to make an argument. I don't think they're making that argument yet. Yeah. I mean, you look at the development pipeline, and it doesn't really look like um, any savior is coming down the line anytime soon. Well, you know, um, Revel, if that opens, I think would be pretty cool. The unfortunate thing is that it's going to take a lot of market share away, and you might see resorts in the Hilton close because they're really kind of scraping along the bottom there. So they're really in a tough spot. I think somehow they have to convince people that Atlantic City is a good destination to spend your time and your money in, and I don't know how you do that in 2010. And look, look at the market. Look at the geography. Delaware opens table games. Maryland getting ready to open slot parlors. Pennsylvania just now get you know opening up table games, um, and New York City adding adding racetrack slot or VLTs, and uh, you know it's just not and, and it, all of this in the midst of such a horrible economy. Um, the Connecticut casinos are still you know, still do a lot of business. I mean, but it's way down from where it was. Horrible economy, much tougher competition, and, uh, and, uh, you know, a stalled big project, a couple, a couple casinos that are barely limping along. Um, It is, you know, it's ugly. I mean, this is the time and, and, you know, Dave, as a veteran of the market knows that, um, you know, it it, it is by and large a day trip market. They've talked a lot for a long time about Growing those, those uh, the lengths of the visits. Um, I'm not sure whether that will happen, but this is the time of year. You know, starting this coming weekend, Memorial Day weekend, July Fourth weekend, Labor Day weekend. Um, you know, those. Th- this is the time when Atlantic City needs to power through with some big numbers. And you know, from what I've read, I don't think anybody's thinking that they can turn things around that quickly. Um, one one bright note that um, is that Las Vegas veteran and, and fellow Atlantic City uh, native Don Marandino is there um, in charge of the uh, the Harris operations, but I'm not sure that he's had enough time to go you know to have, you know to turn things around for that company. But the market itself it's uh, it has a lot of obstacles. It's it's interesting just to you know look at um, the. Re- Las Vegas has been subject to competition from California Indian gaming, um, and it's it's remained remarkably resilient to that. Whereas other Nevada markets like Lake Tahoe have has not. Um, and then you look at Atlantic City, which seems like more like Las Vegas than most of the other markets in terms of you know you can offer an experience that's different. It's you go there and you have a lot of choice in terms of you who you're going to play with and who you're going to stay with compared to going to a casino in the middle of Connecticut where you're that's where you are and you don't have much much option but still people don't see it that way it's still that day trip market and it's just not a destination that that is people plan their vacation around fact is in everything you got to spend money if you're going to make money and until the casinos decide they really want to spend money they're not going to start powering and bringing people in you know, Harrow's completely refurbished their their uh, hotel up in the marina. Totally, absolutely brand new, fantastic place. They also announced that they're putting a ton of money into valleys and uh, refurbishing the, the tower, the old tower next door too. You know, so uh, Harris is pretty entrenched in in Atlantic City. The second, I think we see Harris 
pondering getting rid of a resort, you know, where they start maybe knocking one or two things out, then, you know, that market is really going to be in trouble. But if Harris is continuing to put money in, then I don't think things are, are dead quite yet. But we probably will see some, some of these properties that Dave mentioned uh, skid by or close. Yeah. Just too bad. I mean, you imagine the boardwalk with the giant hole in it. It's just, I mean, how depressing is that? I mean, to walk by the Lady Luck in downtown Las Vegas is depressing enough. But imagine something like resorts just shuttered would be very sad. It would be, you know, and you, you already have a hole there with what used to be the sands right in the middle, which, you know, not even any landscaping or something, just a big vacant lot. Although I guess in Las Vegas, we don't have too much to, you know, we can't really look down our business <laughs> them because look at the frontier site. That's right. next to, what, $4 billion in in construction right next to, you know, right across the street at Wynn. And we have our version of Revel at Fontainebleau. Yeah, yeah. So I think it, in some ways it's an industry-wide Problem had an interesting talk today with a strategic planning guy in one of the casinos, and you'll actually see this in next week's Vegas 7 article. But really, the way they forecast this stuff is looking a lot at two, two main things, the unemployment rate and consumer confidence. So until both of those start to improve, as in less unemployment and more consumer confidence, I think we're going to stay in this, you know, I think we're not going to see the gaming revenues come back. We're not going to see visitation come back to where, where it was. Yeah. It's, I mean, just, uh, you know, seeing a 25% drop is um, is a dramatic number. Um, it's it's the last thing Atlantic City needs right now. Um, so, you know, hopefully those numbers will improve and we'll get some new exciting projects. We'll get Rebel finished and we'll see whatever comes next. But uh, it's not looking very good. It's looking pretty bleak. Um, <clears throat> swinging back <clears throat> to Las Vegas, I wanted to talk about the Tropicana for a few minutes. Um, the Tropicana it went through an ownership change, uh, I don't know, a year, year-ish ago, um, where we saw a private uh, Canadian, I think, private equity company take it over um, and install a former MGM exec at the helm. Um, the company's motto, now the property's motto now is, we're changing everything. Um, they are going through a massive room remodeling phase, um, remodeling the casino, uh, and the pool and other public areas, fixing restaurants, etc. Um, I stayed there about three weeks ago to try out the new uh, the new rooms. I know Dave, you've also written about this, um, your experience checking the property out and kind of getting an impression of the new versus the old. Um, and some other folks have talked about it as well. Um, I can say about my experience. Actually, I have yet to write up my uh, my post. Um, but, you know, the room, the the experience was sort of a, an exercise in contrast. Um, you know, the parts that are redone look um, spectacular. For they, They've been very open that their goal is to be a four-diamond a four property. They're not trying to unseat the winds of the world. They see themselves, I think, you know, if they can get some of the, the Monte Carlo, Treasure Island um, market, that sort of customer, they'll be very, very happy. Um, and you know, I think the remodeled room that I stayed in was every bit as nice, if not nicer than, uh, a room at Monte Carlo or Treasure Island. Um, so I think they definitely, in terms of, you know, what they're doing with their rooms, they're de that's definitely within reach. The parts of the casino that have been redone look great, 
But the problem is they have such a sprawling maze of, of square footage. It, it's like you walk from, you know, a 1970s bingo hall into a, a nice modern casino with, within like 10 feet. Um, it, it is dramatic. They still have a lot of work to do. And, uh, and the parts that aren't done remind you how, how bad some of the, how, basically how the previous owner, Columbia Sussex, didn't spend any money on anything. And, um, you know, I, would, I shudder to think of what the deferred maintenance um, sheet looks like in that place. I mean, I, you know, they probably uh, – the, the list of things that hadn't been touched that should have been kept up regularly probably was pretty long. I don't know, Dave. You, so you went over there, right? I mean, you've been there recently. Yeah. So, what, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about your impressions? And maybe you disagree with me. Yeah, you know, I kind of like the fact that it's in transition. I think that's – you know, it's almost like getting a peek behind the curtain and seeing – what it's like to build a place like this because they're kind of building it or rebuilding it while we're there. So I like that aspect of it. I'm not so sold on the fact that they've changed everything. I believe that Chuck has alluded to them slapping on a lot of paint and fancy carpet. And I think that's, you know, that's a lot of it. I know that they've rebranded restaurants and whatnot, but you know, if you're looking at transformations, still the same name, you know, they are changing the theme a little bit but there's still a lot of the old elements. And I think one of the good ones that they still have is the pool, which absolutely it's a great move for them to use that as a focal point of the property. With Nikki Beach's past lack of success at casinos, I'm not 100% sure that that's the best possible way to do that. But it's good that they're thinking about using the pool as really a strategic asset because I think that's probably one of the best ones they have, that and the location. So I think if they can use pool and location and deliver that as a, at a at a reasonable price point. I think they'll do okay. I, yeah, I think. I mean, what, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, uh, but I, I was, think I back. Gonna, go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, so back in the back in the mid '80s, um, I stayed at the Tropicana. Um, they had a slogan, um, "The Island of Vegas," and I think uh, you know they really had what was then. This is before pre Mirage. Um, one of the nicest, if not the nicest, pools in the city. Um, and, you know, that they had the swim-up blackjack. They, I think they had just, like everybody else, uh, removed diving boards, but they had this mountain with a water slide next to the, uh, next to the pool. Um, and, and honestly, since that time, I think they have, like, you know, Aztar was certainly not a big investing owner, um, Columbia Sussex, um, you know, you know, my record with them is clear and they were horrible owners and, uh, you know, really allowed the place to degrade. Um, I think that when you look at buying properties that are well past their prime, um, and have been allowed to deteriorate, um, I'm not sure that the, uh, the record's going to be, um, very good on how good of an investment it is. Now, for Phil Ruffin, um, he just allowed the new frontier to continue deteriorating, and it, it was a pure real estate play. Um, he milked as much money as he could out of it, but he made all his money on the real estate, you know, the the real estate flip. Um, the guy at the Sahara, who bought the Sahara, Nazarian, um, you know, he bought at the top of the market. Um, I, you know, I, I, I can't believe he's going to invest, 
you know, a hundred or more million dollars in rehabbing the property rather than imploding. Um, for him, the only hope is some kind of a land land play, and you know, obviously, prices aren't going to be as good now as they were when he bought. So, I, I, I can't see how Nazarian comes out of that purchase looking good at the north end of the strip. Tropicana, they must feel Onyx and um, um, Yemenijian must must feel like, you know, I, probably a long term land play, but. In the short term, what for them, which is or mid term, they must think that's ten to twelve to fifteen years. They can keep these existing towers, you know, do some tinkering with the with the casino to to more closely integrate it into the traffic from the bigger, better properties on the three corners around it, and and are the three corner properties around it, and. You know, try and by investing 150 million, generate enough additional money beyond what it could make to make it worth holding for an eventual land deal or or redevelopment. I can't believe they'd be redevelopers. So, whether it's a good financial deal for them, I have my doubts. But they obviously believe it. Um, for for whether they can get the property that's so old, and just by doing um, you know, reinvestment in rooms and in and in outlets, whether they can get it to the status of, you know, a solid mid property like Monte Carlo, Treasure Island. Um, I'm 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 skeptical at best. Um, good luck to them. Certainly, those employees deserve investment. You know, they've been through hell. Um, and you know, I have a warm spot in my heart for the Tropicana. It was, it used to be a very cool property. I'm sad to see the Tiffany dome over the, what used to be the casino pit. Um, and you know, I'm sorry to see that go, but they have their new theme and, you know, I hope it's successful for them, but just can't believe that it's going to be worth it. On that last point, I've actually heard both. I've heard that it's going and that it's staying. So I don't know if they've changed their mind or if it's actually going or if the staying was a mistake. But I, I heard it was going for a long time, and then recently I heard it was staying. Well, well I hope so. It is I hope so. still there. You know, I've got to it confess, is- I'll, I'll be the, in the minority here. I never really liked it, and I thought it didn't go with the idea. I just don't see it having anything to do with the tropics. So I never really thought that fit in there. You know, it would work yeah. great in another place, but not quite there. And it's you know, the alternative is that they're going to wall off that pit and take it out and replace it. You know, I think if they were going to be replacing it, they would have replaced it when they were doing all the other work in the pit. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Right. Since that part is done, and it's also like the first thing you see when you walk in through the main entrance to then subject it to construction again would be um, a questionable scheduling move, if nothing else. Um I don't know. I, I you know, I, I hope that it does well, uh, Jeff. I mean, I think uh, you're right to be skeptical. The money that they've budgeted is not a big number for the amount of work that uh, I think that they need to do. We'll see what happens. Um, I, I will say one thing that was interesting. You know, the 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 price I paid for the room was I think like forty five dollars or something like that on a gosh, what day was that? Was that a Friday? I can't remember when that was. No, oh, maybe it was a Saturday. I can't remember now. Maybe it was a Sunday. I actually have no idea what's going on in my life, so I don't know what day it was. But um, uh, 
it was inexpensive. I remember that much. Um, but, you know, this tomorrow – or no, tomorrow, tonight. Wow, I'm really showing how much, much of a mess I am. Tonight, I am going to stay at Treasure Island, um, which, uh, you know, I'm actually – the reason I haven't posted my uh, TROP experience is because I was going to do my Treasure Island stay and kind of do a compare and contrast. Because since I know they're going after the same market, and actually the room rate was about the same, um, it'll be kind of interesting to see where they are standing in this in this moment in time. So yeah, they have a ton of work to do. Um, it, it will be interesting to see. My favorite piece of writing done on this topic, I think actually Chuck was something I saw on your blog, which involved a certain Tropicana executive and the term Judge Smales, um, which made me laugh out loud, like fall out of my chair laughing. Um, because the photos were, I thought, ludicrous, but um, hey, you know, everyone has their look. Yeah, Dave was the I don't even know what Dave was so. The, the card. Yeah, the Nikki Beach. Uh, yeah. You know. And, uh, yeah, Yemenishian was wearing this double breasted blue uh, with gold buttons and khaki pants. And he was just he was just a, a captain's hatch shy of, of Judge Smales, a dead on Judge Smales. <laughs> Uh, from Caddyshack, uh, Tim Knight's <laughs> character from Caddyshack uh, impersonation. And then the other guy, the boss of Mickey Beach, was, was, was rocking this pullover cardigan uh, over the shoulder, a very Ivy League sort of thing with a white hat. And it was it was kind of funny, you know. They had their, their outfits on. Well, you know, yeah, it was that I, I was kind of envious because whenever I try to do that, people just do not let me live it down, you know, with the, with the sweater tied around the neck. And I always think I'm trying to – I always say, you know, I'm trying to look like Fred from Scooby-Doo because I know he did do that, but it's the kind of thing he would do. But, you know, I think you had to see him moving around in real life because he really pulled it off. You know, he just had this look of being completely at ease and totally unflappable. I think he pulled it off. Um, some of the other people in attendance I was talking to about it, at least they agreed with me. Um, maybe they're just being polite. I don't know, but – well, it, it, you know, it kind of maybe, cuts a figure there. Maybe out of context, but um, I, I that that is like, the funny thing was that was one of those moments where I was looking at the photos and saying, "Wow, that guy looks a lot like the, <laughs> the character from Caddyshack." And then the next sentence is, you know, he's like <laughs> the captain shy. I was like, "Oh man, you just you, you just uh, you just got me with that one, Chuck. I I couldn't even help it." Well, good. That, that makes me happy. I'm glad. You know, I can't ever hear anybody laughing when I write this stuff, so <laughs> I'm usually the only one who kind of thinks it's funny. But one more thing. I'm just curious if, if the Tropicana folks have budgeted in to put a full-page retraction about how much they <laughs> love Jess Simpson in, in the newspaper to make up for the uh, the previous article. You know, I... I, 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 I... It would be a it would be a significant expense. I mean, it's hard to believe the prior folks spent, I think, what sixteen thousand bucks on their ad. So, believe me, I have several copies of that ad. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'll, that's kind of that is up there with like one of the best you know keepsakes ever. I have this letter from Steve Wynn telling him telling me that I I should keep him off of my internet, which is not nowhere near as good as that, but it's still funny to have, uh, which I did frame, of course. Um, and I'm, I demand royalties on my internet from all of you since I think all of you guys. <laughs> you and Al Gore. Um, um, one of the things that, if, if you look at the Tropicana, um, and you you alluded to this, everybody said, you know, you don't know how much they really are going to change. If they really are going to change every single hotel room 
um, that's got to be pretty expensive, um, you know. I mean, because they they got to change almost all the the hard goods and the soft goods, and I mean that's that's an expensive thing to do, um, and you know if they don't do that, they end up with a situation like you had at the at the Stardust um, during you know much of up until they finally got rid of those two floor you know the trap still has those those right. those sprawling two three story buildings you know behind the big new tower um now at Tropicana it's not new but you know you end up with this dual class of rooms where people who check in and are put in the the tower they're like all right and and the other folks i mean it's like getting sent you know into into mumbai or something um, you know, in, 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 into a slum, and and I talked to Bill Boyd when he closed the Stardust, and I asked him, you know, you built this new tower in 1989 as as Mirage was going up, and and it really it didn't last all that long. It lasted less than um, two decades. And I said, if you had known. You know, when you were going to close the Stardust, would you still have built that tower? And he said, no. You know, you can't make your money back, you know, in that brief of brief period of, of time. The difference in room rates wasn't that great. And um, I just, you know, I'm, 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 I'm skeptical about their ability to recoup the money investing in those, you know, rehab refurbished rooms before the property and, you know, before it's, 75 years old or something and you know who's going to want to stay in a 75 year old resort in las vegas when this is a city that you know really you know the folks who visit here want to go to the nicest newest thing typically um Jeff, one thing I, I, I one thing i will say oh go ahead Jeff. yeah i uh, uh i i think if i remember correctly the original number they had thrown out there was 150 million bucks right to to renovate the whole thing Right. Yeah, I think that they've actually added even more to that uh, re- relatively recently. Uh, and I also, I, I'm pretty sure uh, that the garden apartments in the back uh, are going to be raised. They're going to go. Yes, they are. Yeah. yeah. But the thing about what you were saying, Jeff, and I always thought this too, is that the garden apartments, why would you want to stay there? And I had even posted numerous times, why would you want to stay there? And I always got a tremendous response from people who actually really liked those. Oh, because of the pool, and you, they have patio doors. No, there's a reason to stay there. Yeah. There's a reason to stay there. I'm not necessarily talking about those. I think you could probably take those and make some, you know, make them into like, you know, almost cabanas, you know, sort of cool hangout, barbecue, whatever type places if you spent the money. I'm talking about that back tower that is a mildewed, you know, monument to bed bugs and, and grossness. Um, and, <laughs> and if they, re- you know, if they're going to actually spend the money to get that thing in shape, you know, more power to them. I mean, I, I, I'm very skeptical that they have the money to spend that they can make that thing sparkle and smell good. Uh, no, how, oh, how much money do you, do you think a really good room remodel would cost? Well, here, here's a little wrinkle in that. Uh-huh. And I don't know if this is true.
true, but I was listening to the latest episode of the Strip Podcast where they had David McKee, um, former Vegas ganger himself, um, co-hosting with Steve Fries, and he actually indicated that they, that the folks at the Tropicana benefited from the demise of the Fontainebleau. They negotiated with the suppliers that were going to be doing furnishings for Fontainebleau and got a good deal. Now, I don't know where that information came from, but... You know, I can see logically how that would make sense, and there was materials that weren't going to be used, and they swooped in and, and got them. And if that's true, they may have, um, you know, they may have uh, scored a little coup d'état in terms of price. Those rooms look nothing like each other. You think it's maybe just like uh, mattresses and pillows and stuff yeah, like that? Right. Right. Or absolutely yeah, right, right. Yeah, not as close. Right. No, in terms of look, you're right. But you know, mattresses, the stuff that you can't tell whether it's one thing or the other. And then, and then we're going to hear that the plaza from downtown is buying all the old Stardust or all the old Tropicana mattresses. Yeah. They they want they they want the bed bugs downtown. <laughs> They've already got. In terms the of what it costs, oh, I don't know. I mean, it it depends, right? I mean, uh, when Las Vegas is going into their room remodel project, and you know they'll spend millions and millions of dollars to to update those rooms, which were you know, now five years old to, you know, modern standards, make them, you know, as nice or if not nicer than what they have at Encore or their Macanese properties. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, uh, it's, it's not, it's not cheap to do a, a room remodel, but a lot of times these properties will cheat, right? I mean, it's one thing if you're going to rip everything down to the studs and, and replace everything or whether you're just going to get a new mattress and a new TV. What was the price of Encore? Was it, Two billion dollars, somewhere around around there. Two point two, I think. Yeah. And and that thing had well, right around two thousand, a little less than two thousand rooms, if I remember correctly. Just over, just over two thousand, but less. So that's a million bucks a room. Yeah. You know, now obviously a lot of the spending in a wind place goes for the casino and all the other stuff. So let's let's say that he really spent, you know, four hundred, five hundred thousand, or whatever. You know, that's a lot of money, and you know, you you can take 150 million or 170 million, and obviously not all that's for the rooms. But the Tropicana has a couple thousand rooms. You divide that number, and it doesn't. You know, it's a it's yeah. a slim fraction. Now they're not trying to be win, but you know, I just can't see how they can make it pencil out without leaving. You know, saying all right, now we got the nice tower, the diamond tower, and then we got the coal tower. You know, I mean, I'm not. I'm not I'm not sure how uh, you know what else they're going to be able to do. Uh, my you know, my recollection. The, oh, go ahead, Chuck. I was checking the prices on there last night, and the differences are only twenty bucks. Hmm. Yeah, right. Between the island and the Paradise Tower. My recollection is that the Treasure Island room remodel that MJ Mirage did a few years ago now, which is what was like a hundred hundred million and change. I mean, you know. So yeah, you're right, Jeff. I mean, it, you know, that it's when you break it down per room. They're definitely spending less. So either they're doing less or they somehow have a magic trick up their sleeves. Yeah, you know, right. I guess if, if you're oh well, I guess if you're skipping oh, over things ahead. like the bathroom, that probably takes up a lot of money, you know, if you're doing the bathroom. So if they skip You know, that, it's actually it's a good point because my room which was redone, the bathroom, a lot of the fixtures looked like they were not brand new. And the bathtub was definitely not brand new. So See that's the kind of thing 
like the bathtub is critically important. Wynn always talks about how the bathroom is critical. You have to have a great bathroom if you want to attract, you know, women who make the decisions about what hotel, um, you know, folks are going to stay at. Um, and the problem with those Tropicana towers, they're both they're both built back when rooms were tiny and bathrooms were tiny and people had little bathtubs and you know shower curtains and you know I mean it's not a pretty picture. I, it, it's gonna it's very difficult to remodel it. I guess they could put a modular shower in um, and take out the tub, put throw some tile on the floor, but there's not. You know, it, it, it's got to be difficult on their budget to make it really nice. Yeah, I I think you're right, and I'm going to let that be the last word on the Tropicana for this uh, for this episode. Um, we're right at an hour mark. We have some topics we didn't get to, but um, I'm going to cut it off. I think I want to do. We're going to do a new segment on this show, and you know, over the past several months, listeners will remember we tried a trivia thing once, which I really didn't think worked all that well and um some other things i am trying to find uh trying to make the show um you know a little bit more interesting and interspersing some some different uh some some um some different voices and and these you know we've got four interesting people here that have all kinds of things happening in their lives and i thought what we'd do i would steal something from a couple of other podcasts that i like which is give these guys an opportunity to um mention endorse Pimp, talk about whatever in a sort of a short format, something, give something to the audience that they're interested in, whether it's Las Vegas related or not. And so we're going to do this new segment. Um, I haven't totally settled on a name for it. Right now I'm calling it the Dice Toss, uh, which has nothing to do with anything, but it's gambling related. Um, and it, as, you know, Jeff Jeff and I have been working on names for his, his column, and as he will probably attest, um, most of my suggestions are pretty awful uh, when it comes to names. So, you know, naming things is hard. But anyway, that's not the point. I'm going to go around and, you know, you guys can uh, talk about something that you think the audience might be interested in, Vegas-related or not. We're going to make this a regular segment. Um, Check Monster, I will start with you if that's okay. Sure, sure. Uh, About a week week and a half ago, uh, the music world lost uh, one of the greatest singers of all time, uh, a guy by the name of Ronnie James Dio. He was the singer who replaced Ozzy Osbourne in Black Sabbath. Uh, he was the original singer for Rainbow. And he had his own band called uh, Dio. And if you haven't heard any of this stuff, if you like the heavy metal, the hard rock, that kind of stuff, uh, if you haven't heard any of this stuff, Sabbath with Dio, uh, the Dio band itself, or Rainbow, definitely go check this stuff out. This guy was a phenomenal talent amazing person and he had just one of the most enviable qualities possible he remembered every single person he met's name so if he met them again he'd say hi jim how are you like if even if he hadn't seen you in like five or six or seven years something i I can't remember somebody's name after meeting them nine times so uh, (laughs) i'd say if you're going to throw the dice go check out uh mob rules by black sabbath Excellent. Perfect. Um, that's exactly the kind of thing we're looking for in this segment. Uh, I Personally, I'm not a big uh, Dio fan, but my wife uh, was was very, very upset to hear that uh, that, he, uh, that he had passed on. And so 
I uh, I definitely can relate to some degree. Um, Jeff, let's uh, let's hit you up next. What's your uh, what's your entry for this week? Well, I would say that for uh, folks who are fans of the uh, poker business, um, whether they like to play, whether they watch um, some of the uh, shows on TV, and um, that if they want to get a look at the World Series of Poker, I mean, it's gonna it starts tomorrow. It's going to be running for I think six weeks with. 50-some events, and it's a big deal over at the Rio. But I would recommend, um, if they want to really see a cool tournament, um, the one that starts tomorrow at 5 p.m., and it runs for five days. Um, It's called the Players' Championship. The game has changed over the last uh, few years. They've tinkered with it. Um, but they play eight different games, um, and then when they get to the final table, they'll just play No Limit Hold'em. But this is a game, it, it takes a $50,000 buy-in to play in the Players' Championship, um, which, you know, it, it, you're pretty much going to end up with the cream of the crop of the poker world playing, and because it requires the skill to play all of these different games, you really get, um, there's a lot less of the luck box factor, a lot more of the uh, skill factor figuring into who um, does well and who advances. And so I'd say whether it's tomorrow night, um, you know, you end up with a couple hundred entrants, um, you know, maybe maybe less than a couple hundred um, starting tomorrow. But every day after tomorrow evening, the game, the, the number of players will get um, will be reduced. But you can go see some of the most famous poker players around from Doyle Brunson to Johnny Chan to Phil Ivey. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's sort of an, an, um, opportunity for poker fans to get a look at some of the greatest players playing together, um, without as many no name folks playing. And so I would recommend, you know, any time in the next six weeks, it's always cool to check out the world series of poker, but you have a unique opportunity in the next, in the next week to check out the players championship at the world series. And, uh, I think that'd be a cool thing if anyone wants to head over to the Rio, um, to the back of the property where their, uh, big convention center is, that'd be a cool thing to do. Perfect. Sounds like fun. Definitely poker players or poker fans, excuse me, should take note. Um, Dr. Dave, how about you? Okay, I'm going in a a totally different direction here, Um, but I think I could connect this to Vegas somehow. You know, if you go to Vegas, you do a lot of walking around. You need a comfortable pair of shoes. And I found a really good brand of shoes that works really well for me. They're called Sanooks, S-A-N-U-K, and they're made by surfers from Southern California. Sanook is the Thai word for happiness or something like that. So they have kind of this hippie surfer sort of vibe. But they're really good shoes. They're really comfortable. They're kind of like sandals with sneakers combined. And I just really like them. I, you know, wear them and I'm not uh, in a suit at work most of the time. And they're just really cool. And I figured, you know, product that I like and uh, works pretty well. Where do you yeah. get them? I usually get them um, on Zappo, at Zappos online. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, Vegas, but, Vegas-based. Way to yeah. go. Yeah, so that's where I usually get them. You know, you can usually find them at surf shops and stuff, but usually I just get them from Zappos. So that, cool. that's where I would check them out. My endorsement isn't Zappos, but if if anybody isn't familiar with Zappos, um, this is a company that uh, consistently over-delivers in the service department. They actually got bought by Amazon 
not too long ago, and they are Las Vegas-based. They're an amazing cu- company with amazing customer service. If you're looking for shoes and you're not familiar with Zappos, you are dumb. You need to go there right away. Um, what I was going to mention was the podcast that I stole this idea from. There's actually two. There's a, a magazine owned by the Washington Post called Slate, um, web magazine, slate.com. You probably, many of you are probably familiar with that magazine. They have multiple podcasts. Two of them that I listen to on a regular basis are the Slate Political Gab Fest and the Slate Cultural Gab Fest, um, a, a format not too dissimilar from this show, basically uh, taking on various topics um, of the moment, um, and uh, they had this idea for this sort of uh, endorsement type section, and um, I cribbed it from them, um, so I thought I'd mention them. They're both very entertaining, interesting shows with some smart people on them. Um, if those are topics you're interested in, uh, I would I would recommend at least checking them out. The Cultural Gap Fest especially, um, you know, the Political Gap Fest you know, it's easy to argue about politics. People have all kinds of different opinions. It's a very polarizing topic. The cultural gap fest is, in some ways, more interesting. It's it's very uh, it's usually a, a deep intellectual exercise. With all of the uh, participants are, um, you know, have a pretty a very very deep cultural roots, and uh, you know, are basically English grad students that have turned journalists, turned editors that have, you know, they they um, have. Uh, references to things that I um, usually fly way over my head, but it's still a very interesting show to listen to. Uh, I, uh, I definitely recommend both uh, both of those shows, which I think you can find in iTunes or um, uh, on the Slate.com website. So uh, if you're interested in uh, looking for a new podcast to fill some time and want to try something new, I would recommend both of those shows, um, Smart People Talking About Interesting Topics, which is um, always always a good time in my book. Um, so I, I guess we're going to have to wait till the next podcast for one of you guys to uh, recommend the Green Door. <laughs> At least the next podcast. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think we're going to call that for the day. Um, I want to thank everybody for being here. Chuck, welcome back. Um, I want to go around the table. You guys can tell people where they can find you if they want to know more about you. So Dr. Dave, how about you? Um. I'm at diescast.com and gaming.unlv.com. Just posted a podcast from our latest fellow. She gave a really good talk about Sinatra and gangster glamour and excess in Vegas. But I think a lot of uh, the listeners of this podcast would like to. So it's a really great talk. Um, pretty, you know, glad to have smart people like that hanging out here. Yeah, no, definitely go check that out and um, uh, make sure that uh, you're reading uh, Dave's regular work in uh, Vegas 7 magazine, which I'm definitely enjoying. Um, Jeff Simpson, I'm very, like I said at the top of the show, very excited to have you doing a little bit of writing for for us, Um, but uh, where can people track you down? I'm available by email at simpsonlasvegas at yahoo.com. I'd like to say... uh, the Vegas Colo- the the gaming colloquium uh, podcast that Dr. Dave has is fantastic. I um, there's one I've listened to more than once. The uh, the the one where you had the uh, the casino host. I forget who he was, but there was a guy last year, and it was it was oh, awesome. Here. Yeah, exactly. And 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 you know, there's just some very very interesting people talking in depth about subjects. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you should be checking out that podcast. Yeah, that, yeah, 
That was a Steve Sear podcast. To date, the only one to drop an F-bomb during <laughs> his talk. Yeah, although that's we, no surprise. Although Laura today did have some racial and ethnic uh, humor and a couple of dirty, semi-dirty jokes that uh, Frank and Dean told each other on stage at the, hmm. the Copa Room. So she came kind of close. But, yeah, uh, Steve was the only one yet to drop an F-bomb. Nice. Hilarious. Chuck Monster, last but not least, where can people find you? You can find me at VegasTripping.com. I'd also like to give a quick little thank you and shout-out to uh, Mikey for sitting in while I was on vacation, too. Oh, yeah. No, and, um, you know, Chuck, you weren't here for that episode. Mike uh, did a great a great job. Um, we had a little recording issue, which was a total disaster. Uh, so part of that got munged. Um, but, uh, you know, Mike had a lot of very interesting insights. We tried to do a, a follow-up to try and fix some of the – or to try and catch up on some of the munged bits. But due to communications problems, Dave didn't know about it. And so that ended up being me and Jeff. But, you know, I still think it's worthwhile for folks if they haven't heard it. It's in the podcast feed. Um, but, yes, we're now back to fighting strength uh, with the original crew. And um I'm happy to have all of you guys. Uh, I want to say have a fantastic Memorial Day weekend, um, and uh, I'm just happy to be back, and uh, have have a good one, all you guys. Take care, guys. All right. See ya.